Please remain standing as you're able. This is from the letter to the Hebrews. Let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day approaching. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Be seated, please. Well, if the last month has taught us anything, it's taught us that travel is difficult. And we've seen the difficulty. We've had members of our own church who were snowed in in Denver and couldn't get out of the airport a few weeks back. And nearly every one of us probably found our activities hampered on these ice days. Travel's difficult, I think, for a couple of reasons in our day. One is sometimes the conditions can change uh, very quickly. And so maybe you're in a large truck, an 18-wheeler, and you're on your way down Interstate 10. And the conditions change, and you end up spending uh, 24 or 36 hours in Bernie or Kerrville. Sometimes the travel's difficult because the old roads that used to get us there don't get us there anymore. Maybe they've been closed or changed. Pastor Dinah and Mark and I went to a workshop on um, Thursday in what was normally a 20-minute drive from here to the medical center area because the exit ramp from... Uh, 410 to 10 was closed, took more than an hour. The old road just didn't get us there. And when I think of that, it reminds me that travel is a wonderful metaphor for the Christian walk of life. Because the Christian life walk, the faith walk, is difficult. It's difficult because conditions change. The world changes quickly, and the speed of change is even more rapid than before. At this workshop, they were talking about change, and he said there's been more change, says researchers, since 1960 than in all the days since Adam and Eve up until that time. And the speed of the change is faster than ever. And the old roads and paths that we used to take don't always lead where they used to. Some are closed. My father grew up in a generation where he had one career, one job. He got out of medical school, retired as a physician. But now... There are people who will do three and four different careers in their life, and then when they finish, there may not even be a pension or retirement or social security at the end. The roads are changing. What used to get us there doesn't necessarily get us there anymore. Life is difficult, just like travel. And that's why it is so important that you are here this morning. Because on this road of life, on this journey of life, it is essential for us to stop and gather ourselves every once in a while. Martin Luther was a very busy man who lived several centuries ago, and this is what he said, that gathering together in worship is as necessary to the Christian life as prayer itself. Because I think what happens is we get the guidance that we, uh, and direction that often we miss at the ground level. We get uh, sort of a compass, as Stephen Covey used to say 15 years ago. He'd say all the old road maps are, are no good for our world, and so we need a compass to know the true north direction. And, of course, he spoke in the days before people had GPS in their car. But the point is the same. The world changes so quickly that we need, at least need to be reminded of what is the right direction to go in, in our life. And we get that in worship. We get not only a compass, but we get something else that's important for the journey of life. We get companions. We get people who go along and support and encourage us and make the journey not only safer, but more fun. I'm in a generation where you could throw out the word in college, road trip, and it meant something. 
It meant that whether or not you really got anywhere that was significant, you were going to journey with your friends, and that was the whole point of the issue. And so it is that we come together and worship, and we get the direction we might not get ordinarily. And we also get the companionship, the joy that we might not find when we're out there on our own. Over the holidays, you probably noticed that one particular station was playing the Lord of the Rings trilogy over and over and over. And I remember there's that one line where Sam and Mr. Frodo, who's got the rings, have escaped one difficulty, but they're heading for another. And Sam finally turns and says, Mr. Frodo, I wonder what kind of adventure we have fallen into. Answer I would give Sam is this adventure is called life. And every one of us has fallen into it, and it is difficult. And because it's so difficult, we will need direction, and we will need support. And it is in worship that we find the direction and support that we need. So why aren't more people here? So why aren't others here to worship? I thought about that. I think about that a lot. And I think, obviously, for some people, there's just obstacles that are hard to overcome. You'll notice our choir is not here today. They're two hours and many winding roads away on a retreat. And the obstacles are such that they won't be with us this morning. Uh, My wife is a neonatal nurse practitioner. And unfortunately, children who are ill don't leave the intensive care for the weekend and leave on Friday and come back on Monday morning. It just doesn't work like that. and So that's a difficult obstacle for her many weekends. I understand that. But I think for others of us, the obstacles are just those obstacles we place in our own way. Sometimes the obstacle is just that we're misinformed. We just don't realize that the journey is difficult. We don't even think of it as a journey. We just think of sort of getting up and going through the week just like last week. And instead of a journey, it's just a treadmill that that we get on and we never stop to think about it. We're sort of misinformed about what this life is about. Other people, I think, are just overconfident. They're just overconfident. They know they're on a journey, the journey starting with birth and going to eternity, the journey that starts from God and goes back to God, but they think they know enough to handle it on their own. But the problem is that the rate of knowledge and information is changing so quickly that none of us knows as much as we used to in a given area. Whatever your field is, where you may or may not be considered the professional in the field, I assure you that you cannot keep up with everything that is coming out in that area. Just too much continues to come out. So none of us is expert in our field as we used to be. So it's not surprising that any of us would, be, um, would not be very expert in the whole area of life itself. It just moves too quickly. At the workshop that we went to, a guy was talking about brain research and some of the things that they think they're learning. And he said one of the things they think they're learning is our brains really aren't meant to multitask the way they're doing today. And they don't know exactly where this is going to end up, but there's a good bet that my children and your children and grandchildren are going to grow up with some adult form of uh, ADD. They said some sort of adult form of a very short attention span in significant matters. I get that, but there was something more serious that he said. He said, my friend is a neurologist, and he says this. Uh, said the presenter. He says when there are so many choices and the choices change so frequently and so much gets loaded on the brain, he said that our brain simply can't process all the change. And so what happens, he says, is oftentimes because of this, we will revert back to a default position of what we know. And then this is what he said. So it is 
that most people will prefer familiarity over meaning, and most people, when push comes to shove, will prefer familiarity over happiness. They will not take the risk to move forward on their own. They're going to go back and do what they've always done. They're going to try to go on the old roads even if the roads are closed down. And that explains something that I think is so hard for us to understand, that oftentimes people don't make changes that we know would be positive for their life. But they go with what's familiar. And so even though the police intervene, and even though the social worker intervenes, and even though the church prays, how often do people go back to situations of abuse? Because it's what they know. It's what their brain is used to. It's what they already have processed. They can handle it. And it will take extraordinary courage to move out of that familiar into a new situation, even if that situation would promise more meaning or more happiness. But one of the things that happens in worship is we get, according to the Hebrews, encouraged. Encouraged. Remember years ago, Churchill said that the first of all virtues was courage. And if you have that, everything else follows. But sometimes I think you and I think people are either born courageous or they're not. They either got it in them or they don't. But the reality, I believe, is that courage is derivative from the community. Uh, Soldiers in platoons are capable of great acts of heroism that they simply are not capable of apart from that platoon. The community spurs, encourages them on to greater acts and more uh, faithfully risky acts of living and in some cases, dying. That sort of support and challenging comes from community. And none of us, none of us knows enough and none of us is brave enough on our own to make the changes that life and God require us to make at appropriate times. But when we come here, we are encouraged. Remember I told you last week about the puzzle and Jane taught the children about the puzzle and that is each of us has a small part of a bigger picture But one of the things I believe that happens in worship is your part may fit my part. And I may see a piece that I have not yet seen before. And it may move me in a more faithful direction that I never would have gone otherwise. You who are sitting here this morning may hold the next step for another person's life. In your life. And when you are here, you can give that to them and they can receive it. But I think sometimes people are just overconfident. They think they know enough to go on their own and they think they can travel alone. And unfortunately, they don't always make it to the appropriate destinations because we need each other for that encouragement. It got a little um, crazy at our house over these ice days. We got cabin fever like maybe you did. So I reverted to something I, I don't do. I watched one day reruns of Walker, Texas Ranger. I mean, I don't even watch them when they're new. One day we want them. And, you know, and it made me think about, the, the, of course, the lead role is Chuck Norris, and he's a tough guy. And he's such a tough guy by legend that a few years ago, you may remember, there was a whole cottage industry on the Internet of Chuck Norris jokes. So my youngest son brought me a few. I just thought I'd share for you so you get an idea of the kind of toughness that is Chuck Norris. The first one is this. Chuck Norris never sleeps. He waits. Another one is this. Chuck Norris is so strong he can slam a revolving door. Another one is this. Chuck Norris doesn't read books for information. He stares at them until they give him the information he wants. (laughs) And my favorite one, 
Chuck Norris's tears can cure cancer. Too bad he's never cried. He's a tough guy. But this is what I noticed watching Walker, Texas Ranger. He's never in that pickup alone. When they're out on a mission, he's got another guy in a cowboy hat next to him. Friends, if, if, if Walker, Texas Ranger can't do this by himself, what makes you think you can? This is too difficult. The old roads don't always work. The climate and the situation changes on us quickly. We need each other to go forward. I'm reminded of that famous story of the great 19th century evangelist Dwight L. Moody of Chicago. I mean, of Boston. Moody's visiting Chicago one day. And he's, you know, they've kind of sicked him on a backslider in their church whose uh, worship attendance is a bit too infrequent for the leaders of the church. And so Moody goes and, and they, they talk about this. And the man gives all sorts of excuses about why he doesn't make it to worship and then asserts that he and God are all right together with, with this whole thing. And it's a cold day, the kind of day that you'll find in Soldier Field this afternoon, you know, 30 degrees and, and snowing. But where they are, they're around a warm fire, and Moody doesn't say a word. He just takes some tongs and pulls a hot burning coal out of the fire and sets it aside by itself. And together, goes the legend, they watch it burn out. And the next Sunday, the man is back in church. We need that spark that other people can give us in worship to go forward. But here's the other part of the deal. Sometimes I think people aren't in worship because they're overconfident. I think they're not in worship because they're underconfident. They don't realize how important their presence is to other people. Because sometimes you're the very coal that may keep somebody else burning. Your smart may be what the person next to you or across from you needs to move forward in this very difficult journey. Sometimes you're the spurree and people have to move you forward. But sometimes your presence is what spurs other people to greater faithfulness. There is a power that your presence here that gives to other people when they are here. Now, I was watching a basketball game the other day on TV yesterday, and uh, the home team got behind by 20 points in the first half. And what was a very loud arena became deathly quiet. And yes, it was at North Carolina State, and Duke was beating them very badly. And, but this is what was interesting. The announcer said, well, the fans don't really seem to be in it anymore. There goes their home court advantage. There is a power and an energy when all of us show up that is not here when we do not show up. The home court advantage to spur others on to life and faith is pretty well lost. And you walk in and think, am I the only one who believes this stuff anymore? Am I the only one who's going to try to walk the next part of this difficult road? Your presence is an encouragement. There is a power in community, as I've mentioned, that's not found in our individual lives. We need each other and we can give to others what they need. I was remembering back, uh, my wife and I dated five years in high school and she was uh, very quiet for, for most of that, that time. We dated in high school and college, and then we got married. And uh, we were at Duke, and uh, she became a different woman. And I remember the day when I first noticed it. It was the last home game, and the University of North Carolina was in town. And they, in days without a shot clock, were stalling on our team, just holding it, tossing it back and forth, one minute, two minutes, three minutes, five minutes, seven minutes. And the fans were going nuts. 
And I turned next to me, and I heard my wife yell at their coach in a way that I'd never heard her yell before or since. There was something in that arena, in that community, that drew out of her what she normally didn't put forth. That's the power we find here. That's the power we give here to others. Maybe you're like me. Maybe you've been following with some interest the adventures of this nine-year-old boy that ran away, stole a car, then uh, snuck into a flight and ended up in, in San Antonio. I mean, apparently he said, they said he wanted to get to Texas real badly. Now, I get that. I get that. We understand that, right? Texas is a good place to be. But he stole the car. And, uh, and apparently, really, he knew how to drive it, but he didn't know how to drive it. He, drew, he drove it in a low gear, and according to the police, he's burned the engine out, and, and they caught him. They asked his mother about this, and she said, Well, I didn't know he knew how to drive. I guess he learned it playing video games. Well, you know... There are better ways to learn how to drive. And Texas is a great, a great destination, but there are better ways to get here than to steal a car and sneak on a plane. There are better ways. You and I have the same destination. We are coming from God. We are going to God. And I suppose there are lots of ways that we might try to go. But we come here. Because we want to go on those better ways.